Damn, that was spot on. Yeah! <laughs> we are so good at that. We have just clapped at the same for, time for the first time for since we started this podcast. Right? On well, the first try, as too. As far as it sounded like, I know, right? Yeah, that was great. Yeah. I'm so proud of us. Either that or it's just that the delay is less bad today. Maybe we've been doing it right all along. <laughs> That's definitely not it. Oh, okay. right. We're doing a podcast. <laughs> Wishful thinking. Hello, yes. everyone. Hello. This is Tailcoats. And Tiaras. Woo. Woo. Okay. Uh, Today we're doing Sweeney Todd. The so, best musical of all time. The second best musical of all time. We did Anne's favorite musical. Now we're going to do mine. And excuse yes. you, I never said that yours wasn't. I never said yours was the second best musical of all time, so you don't have to downgrade mine. You did okay. You di- you disagreed when I said it was the best musical of all time, though. So it was either <laughs> second or third or fourth or I don't know where. <laughs> just by process of elimination, it's not even on the list, Anne. Ah, oh, well, <laughs> I was gonna say you know all the lyrics, but that's probably because of me. So. <laughs> Yeah, I'm joking. You have no choice I love being Lemus. my friend. Lemus is amazing. <laughs> it is. Oh, this and, is probably you know, going to be a really annoying noise. So, Let me well, mix my drink real quick. Go, okay. go, go, and go. I started gonna, doing just, it, and then I was like, this is going to annoy the shit out of Anne later. Oh, yes. Okay, I think that's good enough. You could d- stir it more if you want. Okay. I'm going to open my notes while I'm doing this. I kind of want you to, like, put this at the very end as our bloopers. (laughs) Yeah. If we had better, like, um, you know, editing software, or I knew how to use it better, I would, like, turn it into, like, a song or something. That would be so great. Auto-tune. If you guys know how to do that, do it for us and send it to us. mixing his Java chip frappuccino with... uh, espresso shots instead of frap roast which they charge me for and if you order mm. a coffee drink at starbucks and you're like can you sub frap roast for espresso they're not supposed to charge you uh oh yeah and almond milk and whipped mm. cream because i'm a very naughty lactose free person <laughs> well you're not allergic to like everything so yeah i mean come on like, I can't eat green candy, for Christ's sakes. I know. No, <laughs> Skye is allergic to a specific shade of green food coloring. Uh, it's How not does even that food happen? coloring. It's like a freaking chemical reaction. I mean, yeah. Like, I can have In the uh, food green coloring, M&M's. Yeah. I can't have the ones that they have at Easter time, but I can have, like, the dark hmm. green M&M's. And I can have... Er, but I cannot have freaking green Jolly Ranchers. Which are, like, some of the best Jolly Ranchers. They are literally opinion. my favorite Jolly Ranchers. Oh, you don't like the blue? I mean, the blue's good, but the green is my favorite. Like, mm. I found out that I couldn't eat artificially colored green shit from eating a green Jolly Rancher. And being <laughs> like, or not even eating, just like, you know. 
sucking on a green Jolly Rancher. Yeah. And going, huh, I can't breathe. That's funny. I wonder why. And then I did it again a few days later, and I was like, oh, this could be why. And then I did it again. There was like, okay, did you that's try definitely like, why. And then you tried, I'm assuming all the other Jolly Ranchers didn't do that. What? I'm assuming all the other Jolly Ranchers didn't do that. Yep, either. just the green ones. That's so uh, strange. And then like the green Smarties make it a little hard to breathe too. Mm. Which is a Man. shame because Smarties are great, but they all taste about the same. So it's not a big deal. Mm. I just have to look really hard at them to tell which ones are the green ones and then pick them out and throw the them away. The Smarties here in Canada are like M&M's. They're chocolate inside. Yeah. I still don't are need n- the green M&M's because I don't want to risk it. Yeah. I feel like if I had enough, I might still die. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't recommend it. <laughs> uh, I remember I showed you a picture of like this uh, drink I got at like the, this bubble tea place and it was like a watermelon and it was like, it was so cute because it had like the, like, the bottom part was like this green jelly, the kind that would kill you and, uh, <laughs> or at least make, make it difficult for you to breathe. And then there was, like, these, uh, and then on top of that, there was, uh, like, a red, like, you know, or pink with, like, a mini boba in there. Like, if you know what boba is, they're, like, these little brown beads, basically, that are squishy and yummy that you put in bubble tea. Um, but they were the tiny ones, so they looked like seeds. And it was, like, the cutest thing ever, so I sent a picture, and I was like, look, tell me what this looks like. And your answer, you were supposed to say watermelon, but no, you were like, death. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's true probably a, yeah okay coconut in it too or something you know Pro- set me right probably, over the edge yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it was from the the lolly cup in, in riverside that we both like loved and we're both like let's just go back to riverside to go to that specific lolly cup. honestly though yeah like i've tried other lolly cups and they're not as good <laughs> Um, I would like to mention before we go into this that I had this brilliant idea this morning that mm-hmm. we should do our sources at the very end so people don't have to listen to us going through a list of nonsense if they don't want to. That's smart. Yeah. Uh, I, however, am also going to mention that you guys should watch the video from one of my sources, uh, which was is it this one? No, uh, Threadbanger. They're they're a YouTube channel, and they did a YouTube video for Sweeney Todd. It says interview with Colleen Atwood, which is the costume designer. They like have one tiny snippet from her, so that's not very accurate. But they show you how to make the costumes. Well, how to make costumes from the era. And it's so cool and adorable, and I just, I love it, and I think if you guys are Send interested to in me. throwing together your own costumes, you should look at that. So, you know, little shout out to them there. Okay, I'm assuming that I'm oh, going to oh, start. An- Another thing I was going to say, at the end, I think instead of just telling each other our favorite costumes, we should guess first what the other ones is. Oh god, that's going to be so hard. Okay, you know, I'm also supposed to know your favorite costume from here, because you tell me all the time. 
So uh, I'm gonna I, stress I, about and this. I, one. I may have changed my mind, so it's okay if you're wrong, and it's okay if I'm wrong. Okay, it's just for fun. Cool. Also, I'm really sorry, guys. I'm a little congested. My nose is like kind of runny. It's hot in my room, but it's snow temperature outside, and my body doesn't know what to do with all this. <laughs> okay, so this time we did Sweeney Todd. The costume designer of Sweeney Todd is Colleen Atwood. Tim Burton uh, wanted to create a world that felt mid-Victorian without making it look too precious which I really like, and you can see that throughout the movie with all the dark colors that they use and the bits of, well, everything looks a little bit tattered and worn. And the costume designer actually talked about the clothing in this show as, like, the clothing in the world as being reused clothing. So it's clothing that has come from other people around them or, like, people in their past, um, things that are passed down, and it is a mix of different parts of London from 1830 to 1865. I, yeah, that's the time frame they were going for. You didn't text me, so I figured you figured it out. If you ever want to know the time frame, you should text me. I probably won't know till the day before, but you should still text me. That's the time frame they're saying, but I'll... I'll keep going. Well, yeah, that's what they were going for. Uh, she evolved lots of textiles and fabrics for the costume specifically uh, in order to make that sort of like Victorian but not precious sort of world. <laughs> and she worked very closely with all of her actors and added little details to help them get into character. For example, the judge has lots of stains on his clothing because the Beatles sings the song about him looking like a mess, and they did little bits to make him look like a mess, but then he was like, you know, I'd, I'd really like my clothing to look a little messier, and they decided to make some stains on it. Um, yeah, I know, right? And I need to breathe. Okay, Sweeney had just gotten out of jail at the beginning. Uh, he didn't care much about the way he looked. He didn't have much money. He wears a coat um, with a sheen at the top of the movie. It is symbolic of his protective shell he has put on to protect himself from the world that treated him so fucking shittily. <laughs> that part I did not write. I'm mostly just reading right now so we can get through this quickly. Um, <laughs> as he starts barbering, good phrasing, Sky, he becomes part of the world he is in and wears recycled clothing like the rest of the people in this world. That's where it is. Uh, what? Oh. <laughs> I should start using names and not just pronouns. Um, Colleen Atwood had lots of fun with Miss Lovett's costumes because she really got to develop that quirky personality in her costumes, which you can definitely see throughout the entire movie. 
Um, Lovett has more money than Sweeney. She has a couple new dresses and works to look good. Atwood put a sheen or beading on a lot of her costumes to give her glitter, as she obviously would be attracted to glitter, just like Anne. <laughs> I was gonna say, oh, oh I feel attacked. <laughs> um, Atwood mentions giving her fantastic underwear and, like, a, I think she said a corset, which sounded a little questionable. Um, that we never see in the movie just to make Helena Bottom Carter feel more in character, which is super cool. Um, she'd also mentioned in one of the interviews that she has fingerless gloves because people wore them in the era. Like, she just hints on that, so I'm guessing a lot of people have been asking her why the fuck there are fingerless gloves in the Victorian era, and she's like, because they existed. Yeah. What? I mean, that that's not that hard to make. It really isn't. Like, even if they didn't exist, freaking Mrs. Lovett would 100% go, you know what? These are such a pain in the, the ass. I'm just gonna cut this lace off on my fingers so I can use my hands like normal. Yeah. I know, because I am a lot like Mrs. Lovett. And I, I was gonna say, haven't you done that? Yeah, so much. Like, every pair of gloves I had, before I even knew they existed, I was just like, these are stupid. I want to use my hands. <laughs> I really don't like fingered gloves, guys. No, oh, they're nice up here in Canada, though. Yeah, but, like, I like to be able to use my phone. Yes. And I know that yes. they have special gloves for that. But it's just, it's not the same. I can't feel where well, I'm I, pressing. I agree. You know? I agree. I also don't like being cold, though. So, I I see the... What about ones where the fingers could come off with buttons? No, that's a pain, too, actually, now that I think about it. Yeah, I, I'm pretty used to the whole being cold thing from years of figure skating, but... Ah, yes. I don't know. I do have those, like, fingerless mitts where you put the mitt back on. Those are nice. I like those when I'm driving, like when it's snowing and I'm trying to leave the parking lot semi-quickly. The car hasn't quite warmed up yet. I don't want to die. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Gloves, guys. Go check them out. Anyway. She, being Colleen Atwood... Okay, she also loved working on The Beatle because the actor is actually obsessed with the time period. So he was really excited about the hat. Like, they did um, <laughs> a video about just the costumes and the production. And if you watch it, he's so freaking happy about this hat. And he's like, yeah, it just felt so cool. That's not exactly That's adorable. what it says, but it's something along those lines, and it made me really happy. Um, <laughs> she wanted to make Pirelli <laughs> uh, look like a rooster, but he looks a lot <laughs> more like a peacock to me. I, I don't know. Yes. Maybe, maybe she meant peacock, or maybe I remembered it wrong. 
but she wanted to make him Peacock look like a bird that likes to ruffle his feathers and be like, yeah, I'm so cool. That's basically the point there. <laughs> um, he tries to make himself look wealthy and extravagant, but if you look closely on his coat, Oh, if you look closely, the thread on his coat is coming up, and the fabric is a little withered. It has been roughed up, and the embellishments look like they were sewn on sloppily, probably by the boy. Um, hmm, Toby. Yeah, Toby. So, it's it's not super obvious. You have to actually look for it. And well, I'm gonna if you look to at the shoulders specifically, one of them looks like the embellishment, the little like ribbon embroidery thing going up his arm is not actually sewn into the sleeve. It's just sewn on top and ending at the shoulder, which is obviously not how people make those kinds of coats. You would sew it actually into the sleeve so that it goes into the seam and doesn't look stupid. I'm assuming that this is done on purpose. She never meant yeah, it to. Yeah. <laughs> um, Makes sense. I personally loved the extreme contrast between Pirelli and the boy. I really have to sing the song to get his name right. Uh, but I know, right? Him and Toby. To go, go, do it! Do it. No. <laughs> No. <laughs> it, but it really shows where Toby sits in the hierarchy of their relationship and how oh, yes. horribly he has been treated. So, my fun fact for today, I'm really impressed with how fast I did that, is Colleen Atwood believed that there were more fittings for Pirelli's singular costume than all of Mrs. Lovett's combined. <laughs> oh, man. Which I freaking love. And it makes a Me lot too. of sense with, like, the fabric that they used and how incredibly fitting it is. Like, that is one of those things where you sew it and you go here try this on mm, no it's not quite right I'm gonna do this now nope now this needs to be done those things take forever when you want something to fit an actor perfectly it's like mm, it's like rocket science yeah <laughs> seems pretty accurate <laughs> oh fuck oh fuck I huh? just dropped my coffee mm, I'll deal with it later oh. But yes, I it's mean, the rocket science yeah. of sewing. Oh yes, tell me about of it. Costuming, definitely not sewing. There's there's a lot more rocket science to sewing than that. Yeah. Yes. So my turn. Um. Yeah, I think I went through it all. Okay. So yeah, just uh, love the movie. I have seen the stage musical version, which naturally I liked more, but the movie's still pretty good. Uh, just an interesting fact, though. The movie is more, like, set to be more of a horror-style goth creepy movie, whereas the stage production is more like a dark comedy, um, which I think you can still see in the, the movie. I think it does still come across more as a dark comedy because 
you, there's only so much you can change in um, the lyrics and stuff, but thought that was it would be an interesting thing to mention. Uh, gonna mention my sources later. So yeah, time timeline. The stage musical is set in the 1840s, so I use that as a base. But yeah, Tim Burton made it clear that he didn't want to set the movie in a specific year, just a general gothic version of the Victorian era. So I'm going to keep that in mind. Though I wouldn't say it's all mid-Victorian. I see a lot of late Victorian too. Um, but that was, I, it still sounds like it was more of a general thing they were going for. And they uh, may have changed it as they went through the process. So um, to give you a background of the 1840s, just for, again, a baseline uh, this was when Queen Victoria was on the throne and she was, you know, like one, part, part of like in her prime, I would say. Um, it was the time of the Industrial Revolution and child labor was definitely uh, a thing that was happening. And they had terrible work conditions. So you see with Toby, he always talks about like the workhouse. The workhouse is actually a place where you would go um, if you were like in debt rather than, you know, going bankrupt there were these debtors prisons and you would work off your debt and that was a workhouse. And so kids, especially, even though it wasn't their fault, they would, you know, suffer from that a lot. And writers like Charles Dickens and uh, there was an expose written by, I don't, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Friedrich Engel called The Condition of the Working Class in England in 1844. And that got middle class and upper class people to care or at least pretend to care about the lives of the working class people. So um, fashion became simpler and tried to demonstrate an empathy for the working class. So like today we would, you know, post angry things on Facebook and pretend to care for a while and forget <laughs> it. Um, at least some people I know would do that. They'd be like, I'm so mad, I'm gonna type and be angry and then go on with my life. Here they would do it in their fashion. So women's fashion try and not to say not to say that nobody cared just that you know some of them were actually cared and some of them were just hashtag woke if if you will um women's fashion tried to mimic factory workers tightly wrapped shawls so like in the factories uh they would wrap their shawls really really tight because it would be cold and so uh wealthier women would start wearing dresses with tight sleeves or at least tight tight wrists and um, they wore a shawl-like bodice, which sort of had a triangular shape and had uh, uh, ruffles sort of coming down. Not ruffles aren't the right word, but it would mimic the, the look of a shawl in the bodice. Uh, and it would have much less adornment than we saw in the 1830s. Um, bonnets had shallower brims now, and the shawl bodices could be accentuated with a new type of shawl-shaped tight pelerine. And waists were lower and pointed. And a good example of that is what we see Lucy wearing in the flash flashback scene. You can see she's, you know, really got that um, pointed waist. Her bodice has this sort of triangular shawl-like look that's tight, uh, tight wrists. And uh, her bonnet, I think I would say, I mean, it's pretty wide-brimmed still, but maybe uh, a bit shorter than we saw on Cosette um, in Les Mis, if we want to take a closer look at that. Um, I think maybe it would be a little shallower, but still not bad. Um, and then to touch on men's fashion in the 1840s, there isn't like a ton to say. It's pretty similar to the 1830s, so I won't 
go into too much detail, but I do want to point out the importance of the top hat and how that related to the Industrial Revolution. So the theory is that the hats were made, consciously or subconsciously, to resemble the smokestacks and chimneys of the Industrial Revolution as a way of looking modern. Uh, so you can see a top hat on Pirelli, very high, as you were, were saying, like, wants to look rich, so he would want to be very, very, very fashionable, and he's even got sort of, uh, like, it's, it's trying to go for that hourglass figure that aimed to mimic Prince Albert's look in the 1840s. Prince Albert was Queen Victoria's husband, for those who didn't know. Um, yeah, so, and you can see also that, and I talked about this in the Pirates of Caribbean podcast, but this also was a thing in the 1840s, uh, and basically, in, you know, a lot of the past centuries, um, Pirelli has this buttoned flap on the pants instead of a zipper, because zippers did not exist back then. Um, and now I'm going to go more over Joanna's look. So I would say hers mostly look 1860s. Uh, and side note that I wanted to compare her hair being down to, uh, Cosette having her hair down. And normally, you know, I was saying in Lame is like, no, her hair would be up. She's not a little girl. Uh, you know, you didn't wear your hair down unless you were a little girl. But I think it makes sense for Joanna to have her hair down because, you know, I was saying Cosette would have had it up even if Valjean wanted her to be like a little girl still. Um, he wasn't like forcing her to do anything the way Judge Turpin was forcing Joanna. And I think Valjean's view of Cosette as wanting to be a little girl is more dad-like where it's much creepier with Judge Turpin. So I think Joanna had, uh, you know, whether she just didn't know that the hair should be worn another way, I don't know. Um, but this sort of innocence and the fact that she she's being treated like this, you know, um, like, I don't even say a child because he's trying to marry her and he's being a total creep, but, you know, very um, must be seen and not heard kind of way. Well, he doesn't really let her out of the house, so there is no way right. that she would know to, like, that woman are... Yeah expected to wear their hair up like she can see people out the window but that doesn't tell you that it doesn't mean she would have it's just like oh yeah a lot of right. women wear their hair up and i and i i see like you know because that's actually going out and since joanne is not going out anywhere i don't see what per like why would she bother you know um to do that i mean she, it looks nice and it still has the curls in the front which i like but I, I yeah, just to, the contrast. I think it makes a lot more sense for Joanna to still have her hair down like a little girl because the situation, while you know she and Cosette are sort of similar, uh, Cosette is not in a good place. Or sorry, Joanna is not in a good place. Whereas Cosette, yeah, maybe her dad was overprotective, but um, or Valjean, not her, not her biological dad, um, was overprotective, but he wasn't abusive or controlling like that. So, uh, Joanna's, uh, uh, blue, first blue dress, this, I'm going to call it the singing dress, the great Chandler I love that <laughs> song. Um, uh, and I totally did that in a much lower range than <laughs> it is in the movie, but, um, it's more of an evening <clears throat> gown look. Wait, wait, but I got this, this I got this. <clears throat> totally a soprano, not a tenor. Great Fletcher Leonard, but nightingale, blackbird. Teach me how to sing. 
it's more like it's a, the best I got. <laughs> <laughs> hold on, hold on. The key is more like like I don't know why I'm even doing this. I'm gonna have to edit this out, but now it's gonna bug me. Um, Greenfinch and Lily's bird, Nightingale, Blackbird. I think that's still a little low. That's but definitely. Still I'm not low. warmed up. Freaking watch the movie, I I practiced this song so much. This is the reason everyone thought I was a soprano for the longest time because I managed to do this song and I'm just like, you guys, yeah, I can sing soprano, but this is not easy. Okay, I much I feel much more comfortable as a mezzo, but okay. And then all of my theater life, or almost, they were like, and this high note, sing it, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> But see, if okay. it's coming from me, then like, freaking mezzo note is high for me. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Like, here's a high note and help <laughs> fill in for me. <laughs> okay. Oh gosh, yes. But anyway, yeah. So, um, the blue dress it has this sort of elliptical skirt that you would see in the 1860s, and um. You know, it, it like for an evening dress, it would have probably been more off the shoulder in the 1860s, but I'm seeing 1850s, 1860s, more than 1840s in that dress. The peach dress, uh, I love it, but the bodice looks more like an 18th century or like Regency stays because we see the, but we do see like the elliptical skirt shape again in this dress. Um, don't know what to say about the belt. Looks, looks cool. Doesn't look bad, but I... I would have been interested to know the thought process while designing this particular costume. Um, and, I, and again, I really like that it. That dress looks very similar, just in style, to the dress that Joanna's mother was wearing at the beginning of the movie when we see the flashback of her. So I'm wondering if maybe it was one of her dresses. Maybe. Yeah. Uh... Okay. I, I'm i still not sure about the bodice. It looks a lot older. But again, I, I'm more just curious whether that was a conscious decision. And if it was, why they would do that. I but feel like it was a conscious like decision. It. Because she does yeah. talk a lot about... The designer talks a lot about um, using... About their clothing being reused in this movie. They're in a place where they are reusing old clothes. Yes. But I'm wondering, because Judd Turpin's, like, super rich. So, I feel like, I don't know why Joanna would be, but maybe just because he, he's stingy. I don't know. I don't um, know. I feel like it's just the world. I don't think you yeah. have to be rich or poor to fit into it. Yeah, that makes sense. No, but it, actually, this used to be my favorite dress, and may still be. I'm not sure. I'm still deciding, so when you guess at the end, uh, you're still going to be guessing, because I'm still guessing. But yeah, this is one of my favorites, but I think a little less so now that I'm, like, you know, I, I don't know where the... I'm trying to figure it out, but it's very pretty, and I, I do like it. Um, and then her escape attempt dress is what, what I'm calling it. The lighter blue with the um sort of zigz not zigzag but triangle slashes on the sleeves yes very much very much resembles an 1860s day dress um that is a sort of magenta color in a museum i can i can 
post that side by side so you can see it. And uh, yeah, that does look very 1860s. So now getting into Mrs. Lovett. I would say her style is more goth 1870s slash 1880s. And so there's, yeah, so her outfit, uh, especially the main outfit, it's a lot more artsy and goth than historical um, with the corset or at least the bodice, whatever it is, being worn on the outside and the fact that it's an underbust, which wouldn't have been a thing, but it totally works for her. Love it. Uh, I did not, no pun intended, but I <laughs> love it. Um, and then another dress of hers that I really like, uh, black and the black and silver dress, probably my favorite of hers. It's beautiful, though still within the artsy, slightly uh, off Victorian goth style. And the red seaside walk dress, uh, is what I'm going to call it. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. Okay. In the, by the sea, Mr. Tuck. Uh, yep. very 1880s to me, though may have been inspired by a very similar 1870s gown that had the bodice uh, and then, you know, for the movie, they lengthened the bodice to look more 1880s. Also show a comparison to the, of uh, this dress and the 1870s museum dress. Uh, and lastly, I just want to talk about, uh, Victorian swimwear. So the by the sea outfits, and I'm going to quote from Frockflix right here. Uh, she says, uh, it's set in a deeply Gothic Victorian London that mixes 1820s tight trousers and cutaway coats on the men with bustle gowns and hoop skirts on the ladies. It's a bit random, except for the gorgeous Gothic color palette. And the by the sea scene is definitely a riff on bathing costumes circa 1880 to, eight, uh, to 1910. So Sweeney's black and white striped suit is a very good example of late Victorian swimwear for men. And Mrs. Lovett's sailor style was uh, common in the 1910s, but there would normally be a skirt over the bloomers instead of just the peplum. But I still, I still think it looks great. Um, and I will be showing some pictures of those as well. So on that note, I'm going to guess that your favorite costume is her swimsuit. Uh, how'd you know? I don't know. I just know you, I guess. It's, it's like literally everything from that freaking scene. I love every <laughs> single costume in that scene. Yes. Yeah. I was really hoping that you wouldn't get it so I could be like, no, it's not that one. You know which one it is? Not- and then be all like, ooh, Mr. Todd, I'm so happy. I could <laughs> eat you up. I really could. <laughs> oh, I love all the songs. I was going to say I love that song, but I love them all. Um, and what do you think mine is? Uh, I've decided now. You didn't actually talk about it very much, but because I assumed that the peachy dress was inaccurate in some way, shape, or form and had way too much cleavage, uh, I went (laughs) with it's the blue dress. Uh, That's one of my favorites. Wait, which one? The, The singing one. Well, I That's also one of my really like the one with the triangles. So, like, I don't know. I was trying to decide between those two. Actually, I would say my favorite is Lucy's flashback dress. The one that we barely see. Oh, my God. But... I didn't even freaking think about that one. You would have <laughs> one that's barely even freaking seen. Ugh, I hate <laughs> I know. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Okay, now I well, have to, like, actually look at it. It's, uh... Yep, yep, that would be your favorite. 
It was the peach one for a long time though, because I love the color peach. Um, and it's also very pretty, but you know me, I was like, oh, but it's not quite accurate. So somehow that makes it annoying. I don't know. It not being accurate means it can't be pretty, apparently. No, that's not. It's so pretty, but it's, if it were like 100% accurate for like a different time period, like if it was 100%, uh, like say 1780s, I'd still like it because it would be pretty close to that. And it doesn't even have to be 100%, but it was, it just seemed like such a mix match that I couldn't quite place it. And yeah, it also does not look easy to wear. And I'm trying, when I say favorites, I'm like, where would I wear this? So. I mean, also like this bonnet is totally your style and. Yes, <laughs> yes it is. <laughs> I think you need this dress, Anne. I think I do, so yeah. Yeah. I'm not and making then, it And there you. we go. That's too much effort. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. I'll try to make it myself. Yeah. Put it to the list. Good luck. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> okay, so that's, uh, I think, everything for us. Uh, and we will see you all next time when we will talk about Titanic. Oh, yay. See you next time. Bye-bye. Toodaloos. Hi again, everybody. Uh, this is Anne, and I realized that we kind of forgot to list our sources in this episode. So instead of listing them right here, I am actually going to put them on Instagram and Facebook. So keep an eye out um, if you want to do some research yourself and look into what we did to research for this podcast. And uh, we may do something similar in the future. We might actually list them uh, Sky and I will talk about that later, but for now, enjoy. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. To stay up to date on new episodes, don't forget to subscribe. For more content, find us on Instagram and Facebook at Tailcoats and Tiaras. You can tune in every other Tuesday for new episodes. See you next time.